Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about eight qualities of a great leader. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad you guys are with us. Dave, what's up, man? Oh, doing well. January, new year. Yeah. How are you? What's your, uh, what's your New Year's resolution? What are you doing? Well, I think you know. And Both I think, of us. I think it's pretty clear by looking at me that I'm really succeeding. <laughs> uh, get in shape. Yep. You know, lose, what do the, you do lose to, the pounds. What do you do to try to get in shape? What's your My strategy? wife and I do uh, Weight Watchers. Oh. Yes, yes. That's point system? Point system, yep. You got a little tracking on your app. You do your whole thing. So yeah. we're doing good so far. Good for you, man. Yep. I'm, I'm down doing... 56 pounds. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do. Uh, I don't. I just. I just watch my carbs. So no sugar, basically. No pasta. No rice. No, no bread. No. Uh, you love your bacon. I do love my bacon. I'm not. I'm not doing the keto, but I'm. But oh, I am okay. staying away from the carbs. And uh, what I miss. What I miss most when I go no carb is like Asian noodle dishes. Mm. Um, like I was in uh, Nebraska this past weekend speaking at a conference. Quick shout out to all the Kaiafa people that listen in. And uh, we went to a pho place for lunch, and or well, yeah, it's a pho place, a Vietnamese restaurant. They sell pho, and uh, I had to get it without noodles, which is still good. Like the broth is great, and I get a lot of meat in there, and and I throw a lot of bean sprouts in there, but it's still just as like it's not the same. Ugh. So noodles and dumplings, dumplings maybe even more than noodles. Actually, I love yeah. love dumplings, and when I'm not eating oh. carbs, that's what kills me. But you know, eating carbs will kill you too. So one way or the yeah. other. Well, listen, we got to be committed if we want to get those six packs by this summer. That's right. Which has been our goal for the last forty-one years. Yeah, for me. Yep. <laughs> it's it's it needs to happen. This is the year our wives are going to be rewarded yeah. with us getting six packs. So I don't know if they care. <laughs> well, they're not going to turn it down. <laughs> uh, but no, it's good to be back, man. Good to be recording. We're uh, we're excited. Um, if you're listening, we're all, you can also find us on YouTube. You can you can watch as well and uh, excited about that excited about the new year mm-hmm. and excited to jump into our topic today yeah um i was reading a, a forbes article it's actually a couple years old but um uh thought it was interesting they talked about different eight qualities of um of great leaders great mm-hmm. leadership and so we thought over the next two podcasts we'll kind of break those down take four and four um share some thoughts now obviously this is not from a christian perspective uh, or a church perspective. So it'll be interesting to kind of look at each one and see, do they still apply? Yeah. What are our thoughts on it? Um, so you want to jump us into the first one? Yeah, I think uh, the first one that they talk about in the article is the idea that great leaders have a sincere enthusiasm about them. And I think it's an interesting place to start. Um, personally, I'm an optimistic person, but I'm not like a high energy person. I don't know if yeah. that I'm a charismatic like rah 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 sort of leader i'm a little more like just kind of slow and steady in my leadership um so this was challenging for me to see like that they identified this maybe not i don't know if they're listing it number one as it was the most important but it was the first one on their list and it kind of jumped out at me this sincere enthusiasm i think the adjective is as important as the the noun right yeah so enthusiasm is energy and excitement uh passion uh, around what you're leading and who, and related to who you're leading and the vision of what you're all about. But if it's not sincere, uh, which means authentic and uh, comes across in a way that doesn't seem forced or hyped or right. or unnatural, then I actually think it 
is can be very detrimental to be around a leader who's super enthusiastic, but nobody actually thinks it's for real. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And there's different levels um, or displays of enthusiasm, right? Because I'm kind of like you. Um, I'm not. I'm not the screamer, shouter, run around guy. Um, yeah. But except for when you're watching sports. That's true. That's true. Me there's too. one exception. Yeah. But but I do have uh, enthusiasm in certain areas, mm-hmm. and when I'm enthusiastic about those things, like it's visible, it's evident. You can see what it looks like, and so I think. One of the keys is to not mimic other people's yeah. enthusiasm and think like their, their expression of their enthusiasm. Their expression, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is what it looks like. Okay, so when I preach or teach or when I'm leading a, a board meeting or a staff, I've got to talk in this way or I've got to show or act like this or else no one will think I'm excited yeah. about it. I think you're right on. The first part of that, the first part of those two words, sincere, is the key. Um, because if it isn't authentic, it actually backfires yeah. on you. So what does sincere enthusiasm look like for you? Like if I were to ask your team, how do you know when Jared is really excited about something? You're not yelling, screaming, running around. What what would they sense? I think I think you can. There, there's still a sense of passion in my tones uh, as I'm speaking, a sense of urgency, um, uh, a sense of like um, um, – it's typically something I've really thought through, mm-hmm. you know, I think. Um, and so I can communicate some important details. I can communicate, like maybe anticipate some objections or anticipate yeah. some concerns that people would have and say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm here's what I want to do. And um, and so there's a pretty visible, even though it may not be the running, shouting stuff, there is a definitely a visible level of excitement. But I think also the preparedness, the yeah. um, thought through, all that kind of stuff. I've seen you. You're just fully engaged when you're passionate about something. You're yeah. not distracted. Right. You're Which not like, like you know, like how you're with your time. family, like on your phone all the time, not giving them any attention. <laughs> I was going to say most of the time I, I'm talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard. there's a lot of games on your phone. I well, don't, you know, it's you tough. Know, lots of lots of clans to conquer or whatever it is. <laughs> so if you're if you're listening in, um, one thing that you could be thinking about for yourself is what do I look like when I'm enthusiastic and how does my team or the people around me perceive my enthusiasm? And is my enthusiasm in line with my personality and the way God has wired me? And, you know, in this day and age, you can access so many other preachers and leaders online that when you see a high, en- high energy preacher express their enthusiasm in a certain way, like a Furtick or a Judas Smith, and you're like, oh, man, I, you know, that's what I need to be. But then you try it yeah. and everybody's like, that's not you. It was that weird phase that you had where you were trying to preach like T.D. Jakes. Jakes. Yeah. yeah. Somehow it, I knew that's your example. <laughs> it, was a little, it was just a little weird, you know? Yeah. We're like, we're in Syracuse, New York. and you know. Right. It's, it's being, it's trusting who God made you to be, yeah. right? It's trusting um, uh, what's on your heart to say. And it's also a consistency with your team in such a way so that they can recognize the enthusiasm in your life. I, I, I was, um, I have the opportunity this year to, be a part of a leadership cohort with a, a lead pastor in Springfield, Missouri named uh, Jim Bradford. We call him Dr. Jim. And he, recently in one of our cohorts, he shared with us 12 thoughts on leadership. And the first thought that he shared was that leaders genuinely believe that they can change the world. And when he started there again, like with this list, I was kind of like, what? I mean, I'm an incremental growth sort of personality. Like that's my thing, like steady incremental growth. Um, and the idea that like it challenged me because I thought, do I really lead in a way that like I believe what we're doing makes a can make a significant difference in this world? 
Mm-hmm. And when you believe that and you buy into that, whatever you're leading, whether it's in a local church or whether it's a company, if you're bought into your vision and somehow making the world around you a better place and you believe that, I think enthusiasm follows that. So I think enthusiasm sometimes is the result of buy-in to the vision of what you're doing. Enthusiasm, we can't just manufacture that because we know we're supposed to have it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's jump to uh, to the second one, which is integrity. Yes. Now, this is kind of my sweet spot. Um, <laughs> maybe something you, you know, we're working with you on yeah. it. But um, no, obviously... This is this is interesting because remember, not this is a non-Christian perspective. Right, right. But um, share so what do you what do you think they mean when I don't, I don't mean like they and us, but but people who aren't necessarily thinking so much about um, walk with Christ integrity. Yeah. What do you think the corporate world thinks when they look for a leader when they use the word integrity? What do you think they're talking about? Yeah, I think um, someone with character, someone who does what they say. Yeah. Um, um, someone who's not backbiting, mm. who's not um, um, pitting people against each other, but is is uh, is a person of of upstanding character, yeah. and and that applies outside of the Christian world, of course. Yeah, you don't have to be a Christian to have great character, you know. Yeah. So somebody who I think, like you said, follows through on what they say, you know, and then has your back, um, doesn't hang you out to dry. I think great leaders, publicly they praise, privately they confront. And um, I think great leaders know how to take the blame uh, for a team failure, but know how to give the praise for a team win. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many ways that you can process success and failure as a leader that either um, strengthens uh, the way the team views your integrity or tears it down, you know, in the way that, the way that we are. And I, I even think like integrity and like, um, obviously, integrity ultimately is who we are when nobody else is watching, right? Yeah. Um, not how are you perceived, which is your reputation, but who actually are you? And um, it has a way of actually playing itself out. I think, you know, we've seen both in the church world and in the corporate world that when there's a lack of integrity in an individual or in a business, they may succeed for a time. But a lot of the time, um, eventually, the the sort of cracks in the foundation begin to be exposed in certain ways. And then you begin to realize like, this is, there's no integrity in this person. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a discrepancy. And I, and I think we all wrestle with the fact that none of us are quite who we think we could be or should be. And even as Christians, we're always growing and we're all in process. But this idea that there's even just a lack of self-awareness and for the Christian, a lack of repentance right. around those discrepancies and rather there's an embracing of it and a, and even a hiding of it, to, to advantage our to give ourselves an advantage in our leadership that's where I think a lack of integrity really comes comes back to hurt us yeah yeah and in in the Christian world and pastoral leadership world I think it's essential when I think of integrity is two things that really come to my mind is one um, am I am I aware and real with other people about who I am and mm-hmm. my um, insufficiencies when it comes to to my pursuit of integrity as much as much as I want to pursue being a person of integrity I I so much lack and no matter how much you grow you're still going to have so many weak points so am I in touch with that am I real about that or like you said do I kind of um, leverage the perception of me to my own benefit or make excuses or hide it or blame others right but then the other thing I think is key in this is do I intentionally put people in my life 
that can help my integrity mm. grow um, because that that is such an essential key factor I think to someone having integrity is that they care about having a greater level of integrity so the only way to do that is to have community around you who can challenge you who can um, push you who can who can call you out on stuff and um, and so I think that's another sign if you don't have that then there there may be a blind spot there yeah so I think leaders one of the some of the questions to ask yourself when it comes to this idea of integrity and leadership is um, do I follow through on what I say I'm going to do? Is there a consistency? If I, if I say we're all about something, do I actually live that way? You know, in, in yeah. our, the church that we both go to that I serve at, we're preaching through James right now, or I'm preaching through James right now. And this Sunday, we're going to be in the famous passage about faith without works being dead. James is bringing out this idea that like you can say that you believe, but ultimately saying you believe, but with no action flowing out of that belief actually reveals you don't have real belief to begin with and it's not saving faith that's his whole argument not that we can work our way in but that our works ultimately reveal what we really trust in or who we really trust in yeah same thing in leadership like you can say that you're all about excellence but if you do terrible work or you can say you're all about teamwork but if you hang your team out to dry um uh, or we're all about trust but you don't open your life up to anybody on your team then what you're doing actually speaks a lot more. And another question to ask yourself is, do I expect of myself the same things that I expect of the people on my team? I'm holding them to certain standards as it relates to work ethic and engagement um, and quality of work. Do I ask those things of myself? And is there a system in place where I can be held accountable, like you're saying, not just people that can speak into my life, but even some sort of a system where yeah. with the, the, even the top leader gets reviewed for the quality of the work that he or she is doing? And I think those are important things for us to wrestle with because ultimately, I think it's Craig Rochelle who says at most of the end of his podcast, something along the, along the idea of like, it's better off being a real leader being a re- because people would rather follow a leader who's real than a, than a leader who is, I forget how he says it, but basically a leader yeah. who seems great, but everybody knows he or she is not, not the real deal. It really undermines, it not really undermines your leadership. Yeah. That actually sounds like something that we've said on this podcast. Well, Craig has been known to borrow heavily. He, he copies from a lot the of Maltlet. stuff. If you, if you listen to the Montlet podcast and then you go listen to his next one. Honestly, Craig, stop. Yeah. It's stop. a little embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Speaking of integrity. But if you want us to come on your podcast, we will. Uh, all right, we're going to jump into the third one, which is great communication skills. Now, before I get your thoughts on it, one of the things they said in there, in here, they highlighted uh, three things I thought were interesting um, as it pertains to communication skills. One was the ability to motivate. Hmm. One was the ability to instruct. And the third was the ability to discipline, which I thought were kind of especially for Christian circles, when you hear great communication skills, immediately your mind goes to preaching. Mm -hmm. But of course, their perspective is very different. And so I thought those three, do we have the ability to motivate? Do we have the ability to instruct? And do we have the ability to discipline um, in a way where we're communicating effectively? So as you kind of hear, well, let's start with the first one, motivate. What comes to your mind when you're thinking about how do we have good communication skills in that area? Well, I mean, I think... As a leader, one of your biggest tasks is getting from point A to point B and getting the team to go with you, right? Yeah. So you're motivating them in the sense of where we're headed, but you're also motivating them to work together to get there. So there's there's layers of motivation with leadership. You're motivating individuals because not every individual is motivated by the same things, right? And that's right. why lazy leadership tries one-size-fits-all motivation. doesn't work yeah. because not everybody has the same vision of the good life. 
Some people are going to work just to get a paycheck. Some people are going to work because they want to make a difference. Some people are going to work because they want their voice to be heard. Some people are going to work because they want a higher position, right? There's, everybody's got different. So getting to know the people that are on your team allows you to motivate them more specifically to the way that they're wired um, and allows you not just to motivate them, but also even to, as we'll get to in a minute, confront and discipline them in ways in which those, those same motivations are maybe leading them into the wrong sort of behavior. So there's that individual motivation, but you also got to motivate them yeah. to work together as a team towards a common goal. And that takes communication skills. Right. Yeah. It, it takes interpersonal, one-on-one communication skills. Right. It takes the ability to communicate to a larger group in one setting in a way that uh, pulls everybody in. And those are very specific skills. And so uh, when you think of like, what are the primary uh, gifts or, well, what are the primary qualities of someone who can communicate with someone well, one-on-one, what are some things you think of? Uh, I think of a great listener. Mm-hmm. I think of someone who is um, is self-aware, <coughs> someone who knows that person. So obviously the more you know the person, I think the better communicator you can be to them because you can pick up their signals better. You can, you can have a, a better understanding of what they're trying to say to you. Therefore, you can anticipate what they're thinking, kind of what their issues are, what their struggles are. And, mm-hmm. and so much of communication is that, right? It's, it's saying, um, I'm having this, this conversation with you and I can kind of know maybe where you're thinking or going. So let me anticipate that. And, and, and if there's worries you have, I'm going to help dispel those worries or fears. Um, or if there's things that I need to encourage you in because I know it will really jazz you up. I can I can say those in a way that's effective yeah. for your personality and, and, and your and who you are, you know, so. And I think like knowing that you've been heard. Right. So being able to ask good questions towards the end to make sure that they're walking away having because it would be nice if communication was done when we said our piece. But yeah, that's only half of it. Communication hasn't really happened until the other person has actually heard what you intended for them to hear. Right. And so many times people walk away from a conversation and one side thinks they said something, one party thinks they said something, and the other party thinks that something else was said. And unless you wrap your conversations up with a clarifying questions, and it can be even as clear as, what did you hear me say? Or um, what do you take away from this? Or what do you think uh, my primary concerns are? what's the next step for you? Like if you don't follow up with those sort of questions towards the end, there's a chance that they walk away. You're just trying to encourage them to lean into the team more and they walk away feeling like everybody hates them, you know? So I think that that's a really important part of it. Then when it comes to speaking to a group, it's a little bit of a different skill set, I think, because you're speaking to a broader audience all at once. Um, I think being tremendously clear and concise is important in those environments. Filtering out and editing out unnecessary information and commentary and being able to um, pull the room in on the front end with some sort of a um, some sort of a uh, laying out of what's at stake like hey this is why we're together this is what really matters and this is why what I'm about to say really matters then be able to be as, as concise and clear as you can communicate those things in a gracious clear compelling way um, and then being able to provide some sort of a next up. So listen, here's what I want to do is um, after this meeting, I want to schedule meetings with each of you. Or after this meeting, I want you to each email me back and let me know what your takeaway is from the meeting. And so that these things don't just sort of become these like, um, you know, I think of the office with Michael Scott always pulling his team into the conference room. You know, all they would have to yell is conference room and they all would just 
get up from their desk. That sounds awesome, though. Yeah. I, I always <laughs> want to be in one of those meetings. Well, if he was running it, I would want to be there. <laughs> but then you think of, like, Stanley's yeah. always doing a crossword puzzle, right? Yeah. And Angela always wants to get back to work. Yeah, they're not, they're not productive, that's no, for sure. No, they're definitely <laughs> they're very far from productive. They're highly highly entertaining, though. And uh, But, the, you know, most workplaces, it's not that extreme. Yeah. But you do get that sense where, like, every time the, the leader calls for a meeting, everybody rolls their eyes because they think, this is a waste of my time. There's more important things I could be doing. Yeah. I think two things I think about when I think about communicating effectively to a, a larger group is the ability to read the room. Mm. And, um, and and I think a lot of people miss this, but it's kind of similar to preaching. Like you've got to be able to, when you're communicating to a group of people, be able to understand have I lost them? Am I losing them? Have I gone too far? Is it time yeah. to segue? You know, because you typically prepare something and you think this is going to be great, but you've got to be able to pivot on the fly if, you've, if you're if you losing them because if you lose them, then they're not hearing anything at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, or this isn't resonating. This is, this is coming off in a way I didn't intend. Okay, let me shift to a different... I think that's a really important skill set. And um, I'm not sure exactly how to develop it other than to say you've got to be more aware um, and looking for signs, cues, body language, all of those type of things as you're communicating. I think the more the more you try to do it and attempt to get better at it, the the better you will, you know, and um, and then also just uh, with that uh, creating culture in all of your meetings as they build upon each other. Yeah. So what's the what is the vibe? What's the culture you've mm-hmm. created when you meet together with your staff or with with your group of leaders at your business or whatever? And over time, you will create a culture that people will become accustomed to, mm-hmm. either good or bad. And clear, consistent language helps create culture, right? Yeah. So in your communication, choose your know what your language is to communicate specific values and just keep hammering it home over and over and over. It's important yep. in leadership. And I think there has to be a, a level of empathy in your communication, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm not just standing above you, sort of pontificating all this information or all these mandates, but really I'm coming alongside you. I think right. it's Tim Elmore in one of his books talks about how this generation is not looking, um, what does he say? He's not look, They're not looking for a sage on the stage. They're looking for a guide by their side. So not somebody who can just get up there and, and wow them, but somebody who can actually walk with them. And that's why I think in this day and age of you know, we have access to, to so much, so many resources to help us learn, right? So, so you know, YouTube has all these how-to videos, how to make this dish, how to fix this car issue. And so I think in, even in leadership and in our companies and, and in the churches that we lead, people are looking for someone who can sort of be that voice that walks with them through stuff. Um, and I think that communication to people in crisis and chaos and struggle, um, having that clarity, um, encouraging empathetic voice is such a big deal yeah i love we'll move on but real quick when you said empathy i thought that's so important because i've been in meetings where i've heard leaders say and and this is not to say that these leaders are not also going through real struggles but if you don't have empathy and understand where the people are at that are in the room i've heard leaders get up and complain about the challenge that they're having to um how how stressful it is to own a home Meanwhile, in the room is mm. all staff people who could never afford to own a home and would love to do that. So it's not to say that that stress isn't real, but you got to know in that room, yeah. no one's going to empathize with yeah. you. They're going to go, are you kidding me? It's, You're... it's tone deaf, right? I mean, that's kind of how right. I describe that sort of communication. It's accurate. It's true. It's maybe even t- helpful, but it's totally tone deaf. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
Cool. All right, the last of our four for this uh, episode is loyalty. And mm. um, loyalty is something that uh, I think um, underrated. Yeah. You know, I, I when I talk about leadership, um, when I travel around and talk about leadership sometimes, I say one of the most underrated characteristics of leadership is just showing up. And, you know... <laughs> You, you, if you if you lead long enough, if you're in church long enough, you realize like you, you eventually just don't take it for granted anymore because people don't always show up. They're not <laughs> always dependable. I know dependability and loyalty are not the same thing, but there's like some commonalities there. And I think loyalty as a leader is is loyal in all directions. Right. So it's loyal up to the leaders that you're under. Um, careful with how you speak about your leaders, careful about the way that you support their vision and their their dreams and right come alongside them but it's also loyal down that there's a loyalty um to the people that you're leading and, and and i'm a huge we've talked about this before i'm a huge soccer fan and uh one of my i'm a liverpool fan and one of my least favorite coaches is a guy named jose Mourinho. he's a great coach great coach but i don't like his antics i don't like the way he the way he does things and he's coached a lot of teams that are liverpool's rivals which doesn't help but one thing I do give him credit for is like one thing he does and other coaches do this too, when his teams had a really bad game or they're really going through a tough time, he has a way of like drawing all the attention to himself. Like he will either he'll he'll create drama just to pull the attention of the media off of his players' performance hmm. so that they don't have to bear the weight of it and they they they're all just talking about what Jose said or what he did or going off on the refs or or making some crazy comment that makes no sense like and I don't I think he's I think he's brilliant in a lot of ways and I'm not just saying be manipulative in that way but I do think there's a way in which leaders show loyalty to those that they lead that they they bear the weight sometimes uh in place of those that that are quote-unquote underneath them yeah absolutely it's so there's something powerful when you're in a um a staff meeting with someone who works underneath you and someone brings to attention an error that they made and you know it's their fault and in that moment they're looking and going okay is this yeah am i going to get thrown on the bus and rightly so i probably deserve it and you as a leader step up and go that's totally my bad mm-hmm. my fault completely and then of course you probably have conversation or have already had conversation like there is something about that that speaks to that leader that says i've we're in this together i've got your back and we don't want to continue to make mistakes, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like I'm in this fight with you and, uh, and, and I want what's best for you. That speaks volumes. And so I think loyalty is birthed out of, um, appreciation, you know? And so if you are second chair, third chair on a team, having a real appreciation for the privilege that you have to, to work on that team, uh, have an appreciation for the amount yeah. of trust that your leader's giving you. I think I don't mean to to kind of throw the younger generation under the bus, but the truth is is that they have access to so many opportunities. They have quicker access to more opportunities than we ever had, right? So finding jobs, getting your resume out there, you know, I feel like there there's definitely research that's been done that shows that there's a certain age group that doesn't hold jobs down for very long, and a lot of it is because there's so many other places that will hire you. Yeah. And while that may be opportunistic and sometimes even the right move for an individual, it also definitely short circuits loyalty because ultimately you just become loyal to yourself and loyal to your own needs. Um, And I think if you have an appreciation for, like if if there was only one job left in the whole world and you got it, you would be loyal because you'd be appreciative that you got it. 
So I think if you're leading a, a, on a team underneath a leader, whether you agree with everything he or she does, whether you even love everything about what you're called to do or asked to do, the appreciation that you can work, that even God's given you the ability to do the work that you're doing, and you have the opportunity to work and provide for yourself and your family, um, that, can, that can be a real catalyst for loyalty. Now, if you're leading from above, um, how about a deep appreciation for those who are serving underneath you, a deep appreciation for those who uh, are following you and have committed themselves to support the vision that you have or to come alongside and help craft that vision. So I think if you don't appreciate uh, really the opportunities you have in leadership, you won't be as loyal as you should. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, man. And um, it's no mistake. I think you're right that our culture in general is moving uh, less and less away from deep, meaningful friendships mm -hmm and more to superficial kind of connections and uh, which makes loyalty even more challenging. So yeah. I think the further we go, the more important that will be in leadership. Yeah. And I just want to say how glad I am for how much you appreciate me. And well, and I, and I want to appreciate the fact that you recognize my appreciation right. and your appreciation yeah. of my loyalty. And to I you. recognize that <laughs> you are afraid of how much you love me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it scares me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, before we go, uh, and we got four more in our next episode. Right? Four more, yes, yeah. yeah we will, we'll, we'll come back in our next episode with four uh, other qualities. But before we go, you know, our heart—we don't want to make just better leaders, but also mm. better eaters. And so, David, tell us, David's eats. What's the best thing you've had in the last few weeks? Wow. Well, I was just in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is a great—I don't know if it's called a city. I guess maybe it's a city. It's built around the, of course, the University of Nebraska, um, and. When I was there, um, you know, it's a college town. It's got some good food. I don't think I really found the best food there, but I'll just say probably the best thing I had while I was there. Um, there's a um, there's a little Mediterranean place there. Um, oh, it's called Sultan's Kite. Sultan, like you know, like a leader. Sultan, and then kite, like the thing you fly in the air. Sultan's Kite. I think that's how it's pronounced. And I used DoorDash every night after the services because I was always hungry mm -hmm. uh, to order in a Greek salad and uh, some chicken shawarma or some some um, uh, gyro lamb gyro meat. And and it, it hit the spot. Um, I love those flavors. I know you do too. I yeah. love the the sort of briny, acidic olive. Um, tomato feta i love all that and all that together chicken shawarma shawarma on top of a greek salad my mouth is watering thinking about it yeah, so that's probably man. the best thing i ate on that trip awesome cool well thanks everybody for listening if you're watching via youtube give us a like subscribe we look forward to hanging with you guys next time this is the multiply podcast peace